Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, we kicked off a challenge last month to write a novel with Dabble in 60 days. This challenge encompasses the yearly NaNoWriMo challenge while also adding a planning month to the mix. Five writers are going through the process of developing an idea, making a fully formed plot and plan, then executing the writing of a first draft in 60 days. As we kick off the second part of the challenge where we take all of the planning that we did last month and charge toward our goal of 50,000 words written in the month of November, we talk about how the first couple of days have gone, big plans are made, and with the benefit of a planning month, we see bright things ahead. Be sure to join us at storycraft.cafe to join in the writer community that is flourishing there and find your tribe that will help you stay motivated during this event and beyond. Thanks for listening. And we are live in the Storycraft Cafe. Welcome to our weekly check-in for the Write a Novel with Dabble in 60 Days Challenge. This is week number five, uh, I believe, for our check-in. And up until now, uh, we have been talking about the planning of our novels. And planning time is over and the drafting begins in earnest uh, i i i had a, a a very successful day yesterday i pretty much took um most of the day off of work stuff and focused on grinding out words and i got about f- 5400 words yesterday i think it was 300 400 whatever it was and uh in hopes that because life always happens uh, some sometime during the month, there might be a day where I just don't get to write at all. And I've, you know, generated a little pad for myself. Hopefully that doesn't happen. And I just wind up at the end of the month with more words than we needed. But, you know, who knows? But the, I have a pad for now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But I got, uh, I I set my daily word goal uh, in Dabble and, you know, that over on the right hand side uh, of your menu bar with the the icon of the three little graph lines there. If you click there, then you can get to your daily goals. And I set my daily goal for 1,700 words, I think it was. It it comes up to 1,666.3 if you take 50,000 words divided by 30 days. That's what you come up with. So I set my goal just a touch higher than that just to round it off and um and i'm doing fairly well right now um 14 as it uh dabble now now tells me that i'm 14 into my novel Yay! on day two that's awesome. i'm gonna take that as a victory but uh but yeah hey hey uh can yeah. I have some of your words? <laughs> you know, hey, I'll, I'll share. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's awesome. That's so kind. Thank you. How are you doing, Lauren? Uh, well, you said planning was over, but I guess my desk didn't get the memo because I'm still in planning land. And yeah. I'm, I'm there. It's brewing. It's still there. And I think I might be there for at least a couple more days, honestly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Stuff happens. It you know, does. They, Goals are 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 lofty and and you know things for us to to set our eyes toward, but sometimes we have to give ourselves a little grace and fudge on some of the lines. But but you're it's kind of a daunting task for you to take a world someone else constructed, then you deconstruct it and and come up with a with a story in that already constructed world. Is that are you finding that to be more difficult or more time consuming? Well, yeah, definitely on the time consuming. And like, I, 
I'm ironically wearing the right t-shirt today. It says, hold on, let me overthink this. Because <laughs> that, that is what I'm in the middle of doing. Like, you know, like I said, I've been trying to collect an encyclopedia, trying to make a map. I found the Discord servers for the fan groups. And these fans are so excited about this series. They are rabid. And they've got a lot of the details sorted and figured out themselves. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, these fans have such high expectations. Oh, if you boy. could talk one I of them into creating them a if you could talk one of those fans into creating a wiki for you. I that... <laughs> I actually tried like weeks ago. I was like, hey, guys, anyone have a wiki around here? And one guy was like, yeah, I'm already thinking about making it I'm like, really? You are. That's really fascinating. Tell me more about that. Um, so, so the, the idea is out there, but I, I, it, it hasn't been done, but what I am doing is on my end, I'm taking notes, I'm listening to the books, uh, and I'm sketching things out. I'm using dabble a lot, uh, to organize these notes and to figure, figure it all out. But I've got like three major plot threads in my head and I'm kind of mentally exploring them in, you know, building on them, seeing where they go. Um, but I need to have more of it figured out before I get to writing. So, so these, that's where I'm at. tell me about these three different plot threads. Are they are they three different protagonists and, and different journeys that each of them are on and right. you know, will intertwine at some point? Like, right. Wh- what are you thinking? Yeah, well, I've got my main character who's from before the the my story began, certainly, but even before the series began. And I know that she's got a conflict that she carried into book one, and now we're at book 3.5. Okay. So she's got a backstory. Um, and today, the words I did get down was I was like, well, let's just let this character talk. <laughs> so I <laughs> just came up here, sat on my laptop, and just started you know, writing and kind of letting her talk and tell her story. But I know it's backstory it's backstory to figure out where we are when the scene of my book starts getting going um but to understand you know what my villain is up to and how my villain's choices are going to affect my main character uh, i gotta see what my villain's been been doing too and what its motivations are like we talked about last week right and how its actions start to affect the main character the main character and the cast and crew and then what is this cast and crew <laughs> i've got to build that out too so yeah just a, a lot of building one thing kind of leads to another with these characters and with the plot but i really need to like sit down and do it just do speaking it speaking of of just letting your characters talk um i i have a tendency when i'm writing to um when i kind of discover plot points. I want to move through those plot points kind of quickly. Mm. And and I wind up losing a, a bit of the character depth because I'm just moving them through the world. And one thing that I've consciously done this time is when I have two characters in a room, I just let them talk and mm. just slow down and and not rush through the scene to get to the next point. And one, one thing that is kind of exciting for me because I planned this novel more than the next. I'm not so much worried that I'm going to forget where I'm taking these characters, because I think that was one, one thing that I was always scared of in the past is, well, I'm, I'm going to forget this great idea that I have. So now I already know what that next great idea is because I've, I've got it written in my plan. So I know where I'm going. I could just calm down mm. and, and let them be, the characters and that is that is so much fun for me right now i'm i'm loving that oh right well fun that's where i was going with this so i'm on the discord <laughs> server right and the, and yeah. the fans fun is are, supposed to be part of this process by the they're way they're so detail oriented in figuring out the lore of this this series and i'm really impressed and i go to my editor-in-chief and i'm like what <laughs> These fans, their expectations are so high. How am I supposed to like entertain them? And he said, "Don't worry about it. Just have fun. <laughs> Just have fun." So yeah, that's what I need to do. Thank you, um, Kate. That was a great yeah. comment. Kate said, "Hank, that's awesome. I've always been afraid I would get 
too into dialogue, but this time I am calming down and letting them talk. It is fun. Yes, it is fun. It's, and writing is supposed to be fun. I mean, right. you know, why did we get into this in the beginning? Because mm. we wanted to tell fun stories that someone would have fun reading. You know, so, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of of what your first love with storytelling was. And that can get away from you when you get caught up in word counts and all, you know, all this stuff. Yes. Remember to slow down and have fun. Have fun. Ian, uh, Patrick and dragons and people dying. What, yeah. what in the world's going on? Um, so I decided to start off with my prologue and I'm going to have it uh, from uh, the perspective of one of the Druid characters. And I was like, well, I could do a short and sweet uh, little kind of introduction, but I was like, I'm going to have fun with these characters. I'm going to let them just kind of breathe on their own. I locked myself in the spare bedroom with the lights off and <laughs> completely devoid of any music and sound. And I was like, all right, let the voices in my head do the talking for me for the next few hours. And what I found were uh, I, I needed a compelling way to, to really sell this story. And, uh, what I did was I, 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 without giving too much away, I just started a whole uh, a whole bonfire party with just these these good old folks in the middle of a of, of a, a druid grove, and then I immediately ruined their night because <laughs> what I did I did do that. So some of the dragons can turn invisible. I found oh yeah, and I really just had this kind of horror montage after that. Um, so Sam says, how, "How many people are going to die today?" Yeah. Um, at least one. Yeah. At least one today. <laughs> Possibly two. I'm trying. I'm not trying to do like George R. Martin right off the bat because, like, it's very important to me. But like, you build the relationships with characters, but like, you also have to let some red shirts die in order to up the stakes. So. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that's a very uh, – I, I feel like this is a, a side tangent that that deserves a little exploring because we all understand the concept of, of a red shirt. You know, if you if you go back to Star Trek, you've got the, the guys in the, in the red shirts, and they're – you can always tell who's going to die. They're the expendable ones, and you'd never kill off someone – you never kill off any of the core cast of characters because that's – what viewers show up for each week to watch. So you have these dispendable, dispendable, these Dispensable. expendable, expendable. <laughs> I just, don't you love how I just smashed those two words together? These expendable characters that show up each week that if you need some tension in the scene, just kill one of them. Yeah. Except that George R. R. Martin comes along and he takes people that are, are his main protagonist and he just slaughters them. Um, yeah. How do you feel about but because that that is a a way to subvert um reader expectations for sure if you kill the people that your readers care about and that is a a delicate balancing act because if you kill the people that people show up to read about th then what do you have left you know and it, how do you, do y'all have thoughts on that? I, I don't. I don't have a solution to that. I'm. I, I'm not. I'm not leading the conversation somewhere. I just. I really want to hear what you guys think about that. So I am planning one major character death, aside from the red shirts. You know, uh, there's one plot motivated death. I won't say who, because that would kind of cut some of the tension from the story. I feel like that particular death is necessary for the plot to unfold. I do think that just murdering a character just because you've written yourself into a corner or you just don't know what to do is lazy writing. And um, if George Martin wants to talk to me about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I, I, so I'm actually planning on a character dying too. And <laughs> It's actually um, to to get kind of an emotional response out, like a, you know, like I love um, Tale of Two Cities. One of the main characters dies in a Tale of Two Cities too, and it just like it's just so gutting. 
yeah. where, you know, where the book is going, where the themes are going, but it kind of like has to happen. Same thing with like the crucible, right? The main character dies in the crucible and, and that sort of has to happen. So like I'm open to the muse taking it in another direction, but I feel like this story and where the character arc is going, that this is, this is going to come down the way. And yeah, tension build. Um, my experience when I was reading the first three books of Game of Thrones is like I want to I want to put myself in the in the main character's shoes, right? I want to kind of get lost in the world, see the world through their eyes, and kind of like follow along. But to do that, I got to get emotionally invested in the character. And if they keep on dying or or like going evil because. Right. Good guys always finish last. And the only way to win and to get ahead is if you cheat and kind of give over your soul. That's the way to actually have power. That's the way to overcome in in the world um, and to see that change. Then you st- you slowly get like dead inside towards. I got dead inside towards the characters and stopped kind of hoping for them and rooting for them because they either just died because they're loser good guys who get you know, cut cut off by the people who are willing to cut those corners or they become evil themselves and then they're able to kill other people. And you just kind of, I, for me, I tapped off that connection to the characters. So I, it lost all the fun of reading the books at all for me personally. Well, and if all the characters are just evil, that, you know, that, that's, that's a, another hurdle altogether. Um, someone mentioned Grimdark, um, basic bog which i'm killing lots too but it's grimdark and and that's the that's always the um the struggle for me with grimdark is if you go too dark then then if you if you don't allow your readers a, a glimmer of hope that there's something to hope for um you know is it just an exercise in futility i i don't know that's i i i love people that can pull that off well and keep mm. readers engaged but um I don't, I don't know that i can do that well there's other kinds of enjoyment out there like people read i remember as a kid i read goosebumps yeah. and the goosebump books often don't have any kind of good characters or whatever like you might have some morally neutral people but the fun in it is the the excitement and the the, the tension of is this puppet going to kill me? <laughs> you know, or is he going to come after me? So it's, it, there's a different kind of fun in grimdark books and in, um, in books like, like goosebumps, but you know, that's for kids, but so there's, there's other kinds of novels too. Um, so maybe, maybe in those kinds of novels, since you're going for a different kind of fun, you make different choices. Um, now as an editor, I have another question about characters dying and that is, uh, maybe this is not for the first draft stage at all. So maybe we should talk about this later on and we can shelve it. Um, but how do you treat a character death when like someone just died? You can write the scene and then move on. And then what's the emotional impact for the reader? Like we just lost a character. So like, how do you treat a character's death and give it the, I don't know, the solemnity, the sorrow that kind of deserves, but not go overboard and not, not get boring. I don't know. Right. And and, skip over it, but still. And do you provide your reader with um, a chance to mourn that death? And that, you know, it's, I guess the, if if you're going to kill a, a character that is, um, that is that important to the story, then their death should mean something. And it should, it, it should, it should mean something for the story. Um, especially like when in game of Thrones, when, when Ned Stark is killed in in book one, that means something for the story that, you know, that, right. that topples six books later, you know, that there's, this is something that carries through the world. And you don't, you, you think that, that George Martin is just being a, you know, a, um, a meanie in the beginning by killing off a, a character that you love, but it really does have implications that kind of go through the world. And I guess if that's, if you're just killing off characters to just be killing them off and their deaths don't matter to the story, I, I think maybe that's the the place where that you have to figure out, is this death going to matter? Yeah. And, well, and doesn't the character deserve for their death to matter? Yeah. So 
think through how it can matter and how it can affect, you know, ripple effects later. Um, and also probably in that moment, as you're writing the prose, you know, to, to create that, that tone, to create the sadness, to create the anguish. Um, but also just the fact that we're talking about his book and his example on the show, and it does keep on coming up on this podcast. I, I know because it, it's yeah. a great, it's a fantastic example, tells you that he did something right, right? He, he got us emotionally that years after I read this book, you know, years after we read it, we watched the series, we're still thinking about it and we're still, some of us are still salty about it. Like that's good (laughs) writing if it gets in you like that. Yeah. Um, Ian, what what are you thinking about the, the, the weight of deaths in in your book? Are are you treating some of them differently than others? Is there, are are there red shirts? Are there expendable characters? Does, Does every character death mean the same thing and carry the same weight? Um, no, I would say no. Prologue has like six red shirts that die. I've named them, but I'm going to go back and draft two and really flesh them out to make the deaths more meaningful. But as of right now, they're just red shirts. Um, they're just a way for me to get the story built and then I can you know, fine tune it later. There is one character death I'm working on right now. I'm actually trying to pour more into it. And that death will serve as a primary motivator for the rest of the plot. So that one will hold a lot more weight. And then there will be another death in terms of the weight of the book. And that'll be like the the driving force for the climax. So how can I make a compelling story if only a couple of people die? I've got to up the stakes. There's got to be more red shirts. Um, the fun part is describing how it happens. <laughs> um, do I do I go too crazy with it or not? Um, so to answer your question, it just it just depends on the, the, the plot of the story, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we you know as a as a kid who had grandparents that were farmers. Um, one thing that I learned as a little kid was you never name um, animals on the farm because, you know, when you have to eat Walter, that's going to be difficult. Um, so <laughs> maybe it's not the same as, you know, naming your red shirts, but, you know. Uh, I, I grew kind of attached to one character yesterday. I named him Kieran. And I was like, I like Kieran. And then three pages later, I was like, Oh no, Kieran's dead. And I'm, like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, I can't get sad about that. I don't want to. Are you going to change his name? Probably. <laughs> Kieran's such a great name. Yeah. Um, but you are writing your book for your your students too. Like Pretty they're much. part of like the audience that you're writing to. Are you bringing them into your cast of characters? Any of the ones that you're redshirting? Mm. Well. I would feel bad about redshirting my kids. Yes. Uh, seventh graders, have, is that right? Seventh graders. I have told them, you know, you perform well on tests, you do good behavior. You know, I'll, I'll name a character after you. <laughs> and I have a surprising and somewhat alarming number of kids who are like, please make me into the evil guy. I'm like, okay. I got this one kid named, named Tim. He's like, I would like to be the evilest, meanest dragon. I'm like 10 to four feet tall. Okay. So, but my plan is, is like, there'll be a, an arena scene. And they'll be like, behold, the un, the unbearably mighty Tim and this tiny little, little lizard pops out. <laughs> so that's one example of that. Um, I don't feel like it would be appropriate or, or, or polite to, to make them a, a red shirt, though, but I, I will like make a nodding allusion to it. Yeah. Well, I know the authors do it in Keystroke Medium. We've got some authors who red shirt each other, and they're just very careful to inform the other author that the death was particularly gruesome. <laughs> and it was as gruesome and gory as they could possibly make it. Very creative in the way that you died. So, so there could be writers' I've seen juiciness. Some- I've seen some authors that do 
um, like Kickstarter projects. And one of the levels that when you donate enough money to this Kickstarter is that the author will kill you in, in any manner that you want to be killed. People pay for this. <laughs> wow. I've, I've seen that happen numerous times and, and pe- people just love being brought into stories, even if it's for nefarious ends, I guess. Galaxy's Edge, our insiders are often uh, named in the as characters, but the ones that I can think of off the top of my head were all other legionnaires. Yeah. Right. Including some main characters like the Order of Centurion book, um, Washam Flash, one of the greatest heroes in the cast. He's he's a, a fan. Oh, that's so awesome. That is so awesome. Um, tell tell um, Jason to call me the next time you or to, to email me the next time you talk to him, please. Um, and I want to get him on a on a show soon to talk about um, writing. Anyway, that's writing. A, that's, yeah. a, that's a that's a that's a comment. Which show? This show? Because this. Yeah. Would be fun. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I hope we, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, that's that's beside the point. Um, uh, yesterday, like I said, I had this torrent of words that came out because I had been holding back the floodwaters, you know, for a month and, and not writing. And, and I knew exactly how I wanted to open this book. And, and I knew exactly the, the, what the prologue was going to look like. And, and, you know, stuff came out, you know, 5,000 some odd words. And then today my writing goal was 1700 words. And, and I had to put those words in a headlock and drag them out, kicking and screaming. Um, is that a what do you guys do for daily motivation? Like when you, especially in a month like NaNoWriMo, where you know you have to write every day. You know, there's not there's not a whole lot of options for saying I'll just catch up tomorrow because if you do that too many times, you, you won't catch up. You know, you you will fall behind. So, what keeps you motivated? Perfectly. And I'd love to anybody in the audience. I'd love to hear what what keeps you motivated. Uh, I don't know. Motivation won't help me because <laughs> the, the words are either there or they're not. So kind of like I'm sitting down, I'm trying to get in the zone. I'm trying to think of my characters. I'm trying to let them talk. I'm trying to think of the scene um, and just start, you know, one sentence after another. And then if I get stuck in that scene and I don't know what happens next, then I'll jump ahead to the next scene that I do know what happens and I'll just, write that scene. Maybe it's a few chapters later. That's fine. Um, the point is to write. Uh, other other um, tactics I've used in the past is um, to write in the same place. That helps and not, you know, all over the house. Yeah. Um, also, you can get um, soundtrack, like a particular soundtrack that's like your writing zone music. And then just hearing that music kind of puts you in the flow. Uh, some authors, when they when they're really stuck, they'll just find another book and just start typing up the page. It's not their words; they're not trying to copy the other person's style, but just the act of typing out words kind of untaps the faucet a little bit. Gets you know, like with the old pumps that you'd have to prime, you pour a little yeah. water in, and then and then you pump it, and then the water comes out. So just prime it, prime your muse with a little bit of water, with someone else's words, or by reading your own words or whatever it takes, and then just kind of get going. Um, Sean Connery used that trick in Finding Forrester with with a oh. young young man he was mentoring. He he gave him a story that he had written and told him to start typing it, and then when his words came, just you know, let yeah. his words flow in place of the previously written words. And, and that was a, uh, a great motivator for him. Fred said his motivation is yet to be determined. I, I get that. I mean, we're only day two. We're, 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 you know, we're talking lofty goals on day two, but you know, yeah, you got to talk about them at some point. Oh, uh, Ian, what, what's your, what, what's keeping, keeping the wheels turning for you? Crippling anxiety. <laughs> and that I uh, I'll lay down in bed and like I don't have enough words written. I'll take a deep breath and I'll just get up like let me grab the computer. Oh, and, uh, good. My wife's like it is nine thirty. I was like, I know. 
Um, <laughs> and the word, let me be clear. The words today, I only have 206 of them, and they are not good words, okay? They're they don't not, have to be good words. This is first draft. You're right. They're, first they draft. Good words. Yeah. And uh, I have this little bar, this little progress bar for the daily goal, and I need that bar to get filled. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I need I need the pretty blue bar to be full. So I'm going to type until that dad gum bar is full. And if it's not great, I will go back and fix it tomorrow when I'm less tired. But I need to get at least something out because all of the ideas are just running around in here. And I'm not going to sleep tonight until mm-hmm. I calm some of that down. So yeah. I'm taking the mad side to approach, I guess. Keo said that she created a game uh, for herself, uh, created a bingo card and a board game as backup motivation. That's a, Ooh. you know, in, anything that you can do to to gamify. Uh, I'm a big fan of. Um, that's that's awesome. Yeah, we've uh, had people do sprints, and you can do them with your friend. So you set a, a timer. Um, I've got, you know, a kitchen timer. You set it for 25 minutes and then see how many words you can write in 25 and then uh, rest for five minutes and then just keep on going back and forth. 25 on, five off. And you can do it with a friend and then kind of make it a competition if you want or just do it against yourself and do it a competition. I do that with editing sometimes uh, when I really need to focus because it says during this 25 minutes, this is all I'm doing. Even if I'm staring at the screen, I'm not getting up for coffee. I'm not um, turning on the music. If it's on, it's on. But I'm not going to go leave my screen to go do that. I'm not checking Facebook. This is focus time. Um, so that's a, a study technique. It's an editing technique for me, but it's also really great for writers just to get in the zone quicker. We have a number of uh, daily writing sprints at storycraft.cafe. Um, where we have a group of people that that get together and sprint. But Dabble has also um, created a website called wordsprints.org and I put it in I put the link in the in the chat there. Uh, you can go to wordsprints.org and you can choose either a personal sprint just for yourself or a group and you can invite different people to come do a sprint with you and uh, you can say a personal and choose um, I think it defaults to 15 minutes, anywhere from five minutes up to an hour and then start now. And you have a place where you can type words and the um, uh, the counter is is counting down for you. And then when you're finished, you can export those words over to Dabble and and keep it going. Just a, a fun little tool that we created just to help facilitate uh, writing sprints and to kind of help gamify that between um you know, b- between you and your writing group, which is just a just a fun little tool. So check that out, wordsprints.org. And it's free to use. You don't have to be a Dabble user. You can just go to it and then export those words to whatever word processor you use. And uh, it works with everything. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Ian, you mentioned earlier that you – turned off everything and where it was just you and the words um or is is that a process for y'all do you need silence um how, how do you set up your writing space that's actually new for me because normally i usually have earbuds or some kind of music on but i it just felt like sensory deprivation was what i needed yesterday yeah um, you know, I'll usually have on uh, some background music. Like if I'm doing a battle scene, I'll probably have something like the Witcher 3 soundtrack or something like that or some heavy metal like Sabaton or whatever. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it depends like what the scene requires. And yesterday was more of a somber setting the tone scene. So I was like, okay, I need full attention. Um, I'm about to start on a battle sequence pretty soon so if you hear um the the windows you know, warping because of, um you know power will blasting that that would be me um so again it just it just depends on the scene yeah what, what about you lauren how, how are you on background music or you know setting the vibe for your writing space yeah i've got a youtube video that's i think it's like three hours long and it's got this um, sort of 
um, I don't want to, it's kind of tense, tense music sort of, but yeah. it's kind of like, doesn't have any words to it. Um, and it's got like chimes and like a beat and stuff. Um, I think I looked up like study intensity music or something like that. And it's just one of the study ones that I found. And I wrote, I wrote one of my novels pretty much on that and it did help just because getting in that flow state is the key for me. Right. So how to get into it. That was one little help. Yeah. Um, I create a, uh, a playlist in Spotify for each book that I write. And, and I just, I add songs that are just random, completely random. They don't make any sense at all. Um, and, and they will be all over the genre spectrum. I'm, I mean, just all over the place. And, but what happens is my mind, um, senses when that first song plays, um, I, I I train my brain to to sense that and to know that it's now writing time, and when I hear that song, I I go into writing mode, and that was something that took me a little bit to figure out. But it does, you know, it's a little bit like Pavlov's dog, you know, yeah. when you hear the chimes, yeah. time to eat, um, exactly. And I, it, it's so weird because every book it's a different song, and and one one book that I wrote or it was it was a, a book with a sequel, and um. Counting Crows Untitled Love Song was the first song in the playlist and it had absolutely nothing to do with the book that I wrote which was about a murderous cult in um 200 BC um but when I heard that song I knew it was time to to get into the book it's so weird you know but it's just it's what it is you know and uh it's a, this time it's a song by 6am and it just kind of became the default it's writing time song. So who knows? Also, I've, I've found that movie soundtracks are really good yes. be- because if you listen to them through, you know, from start to finish, um, there's a, there's a, a narrative flow to the music, you know, because there, there are soft scenes, there are um, more dynamic scenes, there are heroic scenes. And then, you know, you, you kind of go through the the ebb and flow of of the journey that the characters are on in the movie and the soundtrack. You know, a lot of times we'll we'll follow that, um, especially action movies or, mm. you know, thrillers or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, that's a that's a good trick that I've learned, you know, and if you use Spotify or I don't know, I don't use Apple Music, but um, I'm, I'm assuming you could probably do the same thing there. Just just go to Spotify and look for movie soundtracks and there's a million on there that's super easy to to get into youtube probably also yeah i might have to give the lord of the rings soundtrack a try oh yeah oh, oh yeah. fantasy stuff oh yeah for sure for sure um katie said i have to have sensory deprivation low light no music no noise at all so that i can focus i have a friend who writes he has to have complete silence uh, and I always laugh at him because um, in in our house, um, you know, th- there were five kids and, and there was always something going on and you just weren't going to get sensory deprivation. So good luck with that. Um, you know, you figure out a figure out music that you like and turn it up loud to drown everything out. Uh, that's what Stephen King said. And on writing, he, he creates silence by blowing out everybody else. So. Which is kind of funny, but anyway. So, what uh, plans for this week, uh, Lauren? I know that you're still um, gathering all the troops in in the places right. where you need them. What What is your your next plan of action? My next plan of action, yeah, I need to gather all my plot threads together so I know what 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 my opening scene is going to be and where it's going to go from there. And I know the opening scene that might change, right. You know, like, you know, you want it to be exciting. You want it to grab the reader's attention. Um, But if you make this giant list of everything it needs to be, and then you never get start writing, starting writing is the important thing. So yeah, Yeah. I I got 54 words today, (laughs) two paragraphs. 
Um, I think I told you on Facebook earlier, that's, that's better than 53. It's something, it's a start, yeah. right? And right. it's the start that I have. So just kind of go from there. And um, as the plot evolves, I might go back to that first chapter and, and change it. And, you know, as an editor on the editor side, I've seen books that were better by cutting the first four pages, you know? So maybe I'll end up writing pages and chapters that might not make it to the final draft, but at least I got the words out there and I, and I got going. Well, and, and what will happen a lot of times is, you know, you think, well, they're wasted words if I cut them, but if they build the backstory in your mind right. and make the characters more developed and the story more developed then everywhere you go forward from there is going to be better because of those four pages. Even right. if you cut them, even if they don't show up in the final product, they're there. They, they just might be in the history that's unseen, but they're there. The effects are there. Yeah, right. for sure. Yeah. Ian, what's uh, what's your, your plan for this week? I need to get uh, Patrick into Ireland this week. That is my main narrative goal, mm. um, getting him from point A to point B, and then we'll, we'll tweak the uh, details later. I'm just trying to get him from home to hell, essentially. And uh, so, so he still may want to suck it at this point. Yes, mm. he's just a he's just a little little farmer son, just you know, careful at home. <laughs> If I can get him into Ireland, uh, I will consider that a win for this week. Yes. Now you're you're telling an, an alternative history because Patrick is or, or Maywin uh, is is a historical figure um, that has been um, immortalized in fantasy in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of legend that have grown up around this this real person, but you're going to take that legend. And up to 11, you're going to crank it to 11 because you're going to bring dragons in. Um, How worried are you about maintaining historical accuracy? Uh, You know, anytime you you bring a dragon in, kind of all bets are off. You could do anything you want. Um, I'm I'm trying to remember what what author said. um, I heard this a long time ago. He said that um, if you if you want to write in a genre that you don't know anything about, just introduce a, a unicorn um, because then it, it's fantasy and it could be anything you want. So he wanted to write a Western, but he was afraid he didn't know enough about the, the technical aspects of writing a Western. Mm-hmm. And so he just he just brought a unicorn in and then he could do mm-hmm. anything he wanted to. So it, does that kind of hold up with um, with dragons as well? Um, I was really worried at first when we started this whole thing. I was like, okay, I need to, to ground it a little bit. And then a couple of weeks ago, I was like, no, I don't. I don't have to do that if I don't want to. If I want St. Patrick to ride a unicorn into battle with a banshee and a werewolf to fight a dragon, I am allowed to do that. And uh, if I use an historical figure's name um, from 2,000 years ago, I think he'll be okay hmm. twisting it a little bit so um i'm not too worried about it there are some like historical callbacks i'm gonna add just because i feel like it would be cool for the story but i'm not really too focused on making it like a one-to-one yeah literal thing um Lauren, in in your fantasy world, is, are there certain rules that you are having to uh, abide by? Uh, I, I know this is a a previously created world, so are, is it is it just the the rules of the previously created world? Are there certain restraints that you are putting on your story and and your character that? Are you making rules for yourself that you have to abide by? Yeah. I want the, this book to explore more of what's already been laid out. There are already characters. There's already species and, and um, villains. 
there's already um, other worlds through portals that are hinted at in book one, two, and three. And I, I enjoy seeing what those worlds are like. If we're going to meet elves, I want to know about their culture, what eating their food is like, what being in their midst is like. Um, we've already met this like wicked evil hut, right? With the witch that is supposedly killed in book one. Um, right. But there's mysteries around that hut. So I want to kind of explore those. So in that way, it's it puts limitations on because it's like, this is the sandbox I want to play in. But someone else, other people created it. So I need to figure out what they put inside because my readers know. <laughs> they really know. They're good. <laughs> uh, but I also want to explore them more. And that's where my imagination kind of is able to add to what's already there. Gotcha. Did anyone else hear that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was, but yeah. just, my my earbud just started ringing. Um, the I think I mentioned um, last week that the book I'm writing uh, takes place in 1994, in uh, and, and I did decide to do a fictionalized town, but that is reminiscent of a lot of things. So um, 1994, it, I'm I'm writing a murder mystery and I want to minimize the internet and cell phones mm -hmm. at this point. There are no cell phones uh, in this book. Uh, but I did write a whole scene today um, where my main character, Stu sits down at his computer and dials up to AOL oh. and, and, and goes through all of the modem handshaking and That's you know, all hilarious. of that. And it was so fun. I, I really wanted to anchor into this time and, and really kind of dislodge the notion that so many things can be fixed by pulling out your cell phone and, you know, just Googling something or, you know, pulling up your, your Google maps and seeing where all of your friends are. And, um, that, that has, it, it is opening up so many possibilities because, you know, we're going to have to think through these problems and, and hey, not just solve them with technology. Can you run that scene again later on in the book? when they're under a time crunch because that would be hilarious. Like, I, I don't know what the time crunch is involving, but just like waiting for. <laughs> I love that. Waiting, that, waiting. That actually would be waiting. funny that anytime they're really under a crunch, yeah. they, they have to log into AOL for <laughs> wait. <laughs> Oh, that's going to be so oh much my. fun. Or so what if he's fun. got his notes on his Microsoft Word doc and Microsoft crashes? Oh, that's that not, be... that's just painful. Maybe that's just, but it's true. But, but it's, it's so true. It's, it's so, so true. true. It's so, especially in 1994, um, mm. you know, Word was still running a DOS at the time. Anyway, um, the, I, I have, um, so far in my book, there is a dead body, but no one knows it yet. Mm. So um, mm. over the next couple of days, I'm going to introduce the dead body. And then, you know, this little town goes into upheaval because dead bodies don't just typically show up here. But they do now. Ooh. So, you know, we've got the, the whole Jessica Fletcher uh, thing from Murder, She Wrote, where idyllic little town, but bodies start stacking up and... Yeah, uh, who, didn't you say on really Facebook like five or six people have already died? Something like that. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying there might be a, a little cult activity going on. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but let the bodies uh, hit the ground. Let the bodies hit the ground. Yeah. Um, it, is there a particular time of day that y'all have to show up to write? You know, some people are like, I have to show up at 8 a.m. every morning. I I have to I have to have my computer only at my desk and all of the things have to be perfectly in order. Or are y'all like that at all? Mm. Five to six p.m. has been working for me in the evening mostly. Um, that's not a hard fast thing. You know, yesterday I wrote 
2,000 words at 2 p.m. So it's really just a matter of what I'm doing that day, how, what direction my day takes me. Um, I do enjoy the evening writing, though. Um, yeah. Nice and quiet, pretty chill. Going on, it's, it, it's a nice headspace. You know, the the sun's going down earlier, so it, it feels more like nighttime, like that that calming. You know, just the, a good way to end the day for me. And it works for everybody. I'm trying to build an early morning habit, like a first yeah. thing in the morning. You know, don't do anything; just kind of roll up out of bed and do it. Um, since I haven't started writing and I'm still plotting, I've been putting that into editing, editing mode. But, um, in the past, when I found, when I wrote in the morning, first thing, I found that a lot of the, I don't know, the creativity that's kind of in your brain from sleeping and dreaming and stuff is still sort of latent there. So I want to kind of capture those chemicals and kind of get at it. It helped in the past and I'm hoping to do it again. I love the idea of that. And I, I think all the time, oh, I'm going to be an early morning writer for the for the exact reasons that you just said. Um, but I'm uh, my neuroses won't let me. Um, hmm. I, I'm I'm the kind of person that I cannot have unread email oh, in my yeah. inbox. I, I cannot have a, a number by my inbox. I, I have to go through and then, you know. Um, you know, there's a number of work things that have to be done first thing in the morning to keep the whole, you know, dabble to dabble marketing train, you know, on the tracks. And, and, and I just, I, I want to, to write first thing in the morning, but I just, I have to check these things off <laughs> because I'm a weirdo. And, and then later in the day, I feel like I've earned my writing time mm. because I've, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm weird like that. And, and, you know, we'll see what the weekends look like. Um, yeah. When when those things aren't necessarily you know um, uh, at top of mind, but but we'll see that it's it's going to be interesting to see if I can retrain my neurotic habits to allow that to happen in the morning. Yeah, it's like we'll whatever see. works for you, dude. Right. That. Right. Yeah. The point is, no, there is no perfect time in the morning to it's whatever, wherever you feel free, I think is the perfect time. Yeah. 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 Except for the days where you just have to go into a closet and bang out some words, you know? Yeah. I I will tell you that for me, if I get to writing at the end of the day and you know, I'm kind of procrastinator, right? So I keep on pushing it off, but the whole time I'm pushing it off, I'm thinking that this is something I need to do. And then once you get in those few words, then you feel like, oh, if I've done the thing, I've accomplished <laughs> that big goal that I really wanted to do. And then you can focus on other things. So I don't know. Well, Lauren, you, you work, your day job is an editor and yes. Ian, your day job is a teacher. Um, and my day job is working for Dabble. And so we all three kind of work around stories all the time. Um, do you ever... Uh, does it ever get in the way of your creativity? Like, like looking at other people's work all the time, does that ever make you just feel like, uh, I'm just, I'm, I don't have it today. I, I don't want to look at any more words today. Does that ever happen to you? Um, sometimes, but then I just uh, go like really cocky and say, ah, I could do that better. Ah. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's one of my motivators. Uh, I, I have to have that lens because if I'm always going to, if I'm going to be in a career where I'm constantly exposed to other people's craft, I'm, I can choose to be uh, self-deprecating and unsure of myself, or I can be like, okay, I've been doing this for long enough. It's time for me to flex my muscles and see what I can do, what I can contribute to whether it is world. So, um, it, it was daunting at first. But I think I've gotten over that. Yeah, the the books you're reading were written by, you know, was for me as an English teacher anyway. The books that I was teaching were written by Charles, you know, Dickens, Tolkien, um, Hawthorne. You know, they're written by some of the greatest Dostoevsky out there. <laughs> He's so good. Um, you can't call them up. The books I'm reading now, 
I can email Nick, you know, Jason, Walt, a Doc Spears, and they'll just tell me, right. <laughs> just right. <laughs> yeah. So they'll they'll give me, you know, the the kick in the pants that I need and they'll, you know, they'll also tell me to have fun. So those two things, just write and have fun. Do you ever read something and go, oh, I totally would have done this a completely different way? And and that, you know, starts the the what if game. Um, not so much, but more I'll see something cool that they did. And then that will give me an an idea of something cool that I want to do, too. Or, uh, you know, I I like that the way they the characters have like a rapport and, you know, jokes back and forth. Or I like the way that there was some kind of surprise twist. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. More of that. Let's do more of that. Um, and I do that when I read Jim Butcher too. You know, take notes of, oh, this was fun. This is fun. And I kind of throw that into my pile of fun things that I want to experiment with too. Speaking of Jim Butcher, um, I I got uh, uh, an an arc of his son's book, who he's oh. publishing as James Butcher, um, and it's. Um, uh, urban fantasy as well. And has anybody read any? I'm, I'm going to get into it this week and that's hmm. going to be interesting. Yeah. So next I, week, can we ask you about that? See how you liked it? Yeah. Or, yeah or the week that. after, whenever you get to it, like I'd, I'd want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll put some thoughts together on it. So that should be fun. Especially could you imagine growing up in, in that shadow and then becoming, um, not only just an author, but an, an urban fantasy author that, you know, talk about influences that should be interesting to see. Mm. But anyway, um, well, guys, that's that's our hour for today. Um, happy writing, everyone. It's uh, we're in the thick of it now We're we'll meet uh, again here next Wednesday and see how our first full week has gone uh, and. We uh we might have some uh some story snags to uh, hmm. try to help each other unravel. So um I'm gonna be making notes of any troublesome scenes or characters that I've run into and uh maybe do a little workshopping with the group. So that should be fun. So we can check in with our, our trouble and like help bounce ideas off. Exactly. Exactly. That should yeah. be fun. Oh, go ahead. There was a question from the audience. Someone was yeah. asking about uh, that picture behind me. That yes. is Morning Star by William Harrison. And it's from a photo from the early 1900s. And that he, he sketched that. That is um, charcoal pencil. You're um, kidding. It's it's the work is beautiful. Like, oh, wow. You get close. Um, the beadwork and her hair, just the textures are amazing. But yeah, William Harrison... Uh, Morning Star, and actually, that was painted for an editing project he did. We did like a trade. I love it. That yeah, is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, also, just a a programming note. Um, we had talked about doing these writing challenges every quarter. We do a sixty day writing challenge, take a month off, and then start an, another one up. And I had an idea. I was kicking around with the Dabble folks yesterday. What if um, in January, and, and this is just something for for folks to to think about, and if if you're interested, let me know. Um, what if in January, instead of kicking off another write a novel with dabble in sixty days, what if we do a rewrite your novel uh, challenge, where you know we we have an existing first draft, and whatever words don't fit into November, you know maybe we spill over into December and kind of finish up that first draft. And then in January, we tackle revisions and what it's like to, you know, take a, a new look at, at that book and, and go through the editing process and, you know, bring that into a, uh, a workable draft. It's something we're kicking around, but if, if folks are interested in that, I think we may do that. I'm interested right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me Um, next week. uh, Hopefully uh, Amy and Josh will be back on our panel and uh, happy writing. Thanks, Hank. This was fun. Good night, guys. 
that's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.